Let's turn again this week to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Read the first 25 verses here, though we're going to take two, two weeks to look at this, uh, this passage here, and I'll, I'll say a few, words, a few more words about that um, in a little bit here. Mark 4, verses 1 through 25, this is God's holy and fallible word, so let's give careful attention as it's read. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. Because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell on the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the, word, the, the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown in the rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown in the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. So I'll end there this morning. I want to read another story. Maybe you've heard this story before uh, as well. Uh, the lion once went a-hunting along with the fox, the jackal, and the wolf. There's four animals. They hunted and hunted, till last they surprised the deer and soon took its life. Then came the question of how the spoil should be divided. 
quarter me this deer, roared the lion. So the other animals skinned it and cut it into four parts. Then the lion took his stand in front of the carcass and pronounced judgment. The first quarter is for me in my capacity as king of beasts. The second is mine as arbiter. Another share comes to me for my part in the chase. And as for the fourth quarter, well, as for that, I should like to see which of you will dare to lay a paw upon it. And the fox grumbled as he walked away with his tails between his legs. But he spoke in a low growl, and this is the moral of the story. You may share the labors of the great, but you will not share the spoil. That's one of uh, many of, of Aesop's fables, um, and it doesn't have particular um, connection to this, this passage here and the, the point of it, but as a, as a fable, these, these fables are um, famous for memorably communicating truisms, communicating general uh, wisdom, especially to children, um, the, the tortoise and the hare probably being the most famous uh, of them. But probably just as famous in, in our culture at least, um, even in pop culture, are Jesus' parables, especially the, the parable of the prodigal son, uh, the, the Good Samaritan. These things are part of cultural literacy in, in the U.S. Um, and they function similarly to uh, Aesop's fables right, and, and stories like that. They're memorable, simple stories with, with a lesson. And we're told in verse 2 uh, here that Jesus was teaching many things in parables. We, we could probably fairly say that this was Jesus' favorite method of teaching. Uh, he taught in many parables. Uh, how many different parables do you think there are in the Gospels? Um, a lot of them are repeated, but how many distinct parables? There are, uh, depending on how you count, as many as 45 distinct parables uh, that we have of, of Jesus. Um, some of them just, just one or two lines, some of them longer, uh, like this one. Uh, most of them are in Matthew and Luke, some more in Mark, and actually none in, in the Gospel of John, interestingly. Uh, but th these are, for Jesus, simple stories that he tells. They don't require any uh, specialized knowledge to, to get the, the basic uh, storyline uh, or, or you know, uh, complex vocabulary or anything like that. They're simple stories. But at the same time, the interpretation of them, really understanding the spiritual points, um, as one writer put it, is confounding. They knock hearers off balance so that they must see things in a new light. Um, so they're sort of like fables in, in being simple stories that a child can understand. Um, and yet some, in some ways they're, they're unlike Aesop's fables they, that, that, that just you know, teach a simple moral lesson that's universally recognized. Jesus' parables are meant to turn the world upside down, to challenge the way that people see things. Um, and challenge the way that people understand things and, and what they assume. Um, Jesus' parables, um, more than just teaching little morals, often communicate uh, what the kingdom of God is and how it works unexpectedly and powerfully um, and how we're to live in it. So uh, today, I want to just I want us to consider what Jesus says in this passage here about parables and, and consider Jesus' teaching with parables generally. Um, consider why he does that. So we'll be looking especially at verses 10 to 12 where Jesus talks about why he teaches in parables. Um, I'll touch on a couple other parts in the passage here. Um, and then and then next time we'll look at the actual parable here. Um, just, I just want to note uh, before we move to your outline, just one other general implication of the fact that Jesus made abundant use of parables. 
and illustrations. Um, and that is that I think biblical teaching is, it, it is in the Bible, and it, and it should be as we expound on it, full of illustration and, and metaphors and, and, and application to God's people, for sure. Sometimes uh, serious-minded Christians or churches have the idea that serious, deep theology should be taught in a very straightforward, literal, dry way. Um, that's not how Jesus taught. That the biblical model is that there is indeed depth and, and seriousness, but at the same time, there's uh, a ton of illustration and, and these uh, parables and application to God's people. So, uh, teaching should should be a balance of, of of true doctrine, depth of doctrine, but also illustrated and, and applied to God's people. It shouldn't be strictly doctrine without any illustration or application. Nor should teaching or preaching be just um, stories and jokes with no depth of, of doctrine. There should be a rich balance of both, and Jesus is an example uh, to us of that. Uh, there, there are many uh, teachers um, who, who do this well, though it's a challenge. One, one well-known teacher who I think is particularly a master at bringing together depth of theology and and uh, illustration and application is, is the late R.C. Sproul. So there's an example uh, of that. Um, so I want to look this morning at, at four purposes of, of Jesus' parables uh, as it comes out here. The first is to communicate to truth to some. To communicate truth to some. Look at verse 10. It says, as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, those who are outside get everything in parables. And so in this, these first two points here, I want to consider what Jesus says here about those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside. He's, he's now in private with, it says, his followers and, and the twelve, right? Some of his closest disciples who are really eager to learn from him. He's making a distinction between them and the crowds again, Right? Um, to his disciples, those who are and, and others who are gathered with him in private now, he says, "To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God." Uh, there's there's some distinction there. He says, "God is giving them a mystery." What is what does he mean by that? Uh, giving them a mystery. Well, that's um, maybe the English word is maybe not in, uh, super helpful to us because of all the connotations we have with that word mystery. Jesus doesn't mean um, he's they're, they're receiving something mysterious, um, the sense that we use that word, something that you can't really understand at all. Um, that's not what Jesus means. He doesn't mean a mystery in the Sherlock Holmes sense, where you, you put a bunch of clues together and eventually you, you work out a puzzle, basically. That's not how Jesus uses the word. Um, he, doesn't, he also doesn't mean uh, secret knowledge in, in the sense um, that this is just knowledge for you here on in the inner circle. Those who are sort of initiated, if, if you're members of the club, uh, this, is, this is not how God's truth works. It's how the truth of some religions or organizations work. So the Masons, for example, is a, uh, a secret society. You can't know all that's in their documents or all that's in their practice and, unless you join um, their group. Uh, Scientology functions this way. Uh, even Mormonism to, to a certain degree. But, but Christian truth, there, there's nothing secret in that sense in, in God's uh, truth um, in Christianity. What Jesus means by a mystery, what the word behind that means simply a, a truth that's revealed by God to his people. 
Okay? And it's, it's something that would be unknown unless God revealed it to his people. Um, in other words, it's not a truth like 2 plus 2 equals 4, something that anyone can observe and know obviously from the natural world. It's, it's something that God reveals to his people, to those who are particularly looking to learn from him uh, by faith. Um, Paul uses this word, the word that's behind mystery here in, in the Greek, 21 times uh, in his letters. Uh, often it, it points to something that's, that's maybe unexpected. God is revealing something that's unexpected or wasn't well known even by his people um, before. And Jesus uh, is, is revealing through his parables particularly how the kingdom of God would come powerfully but, but unexpectedly. Okay? Um, particularly that it would come in, in the lowly, uh, humble person of Jesus, that this is how the kingdom of God uh, would come, even, even through his dying. Um, the parables, there are more parables in this, this chapter that we'll get to, uh, that speak of the kingdom of God growing gradually and visibly, uh, growing by the word of God, um, not, not otherworldly ways. There's also a, a really an indirect, almost veiled way in which the parables communicate God's truth. So again, Jesus is saying these, these mysteries, these, these revealed truths of God are given to you, but not to others. They're given to some, but not to others. Verse 11, again, to you has been given. We'll, we'll talk in a moment about how the parables, in a sense, hide things from, from others. But those who are seeking Jesus in faith, who want to learn, who know that they have a lot to learn, uh, want to know God and his kingdom, will be given understanding. Uh, and the parables teach these things uh, in a way, they, they teach the truths of God in a way that requires really wrestling with, with what is Jesus talking about? What is the point that's being made? Uh, so often he doesn't teach in just straightforward, literal language, but uses parables that requires disciples to come and ask him. What, what does this mean? It requires us to, to think about it, to wrestle with in, in faith, to really get it. It, it, takes, it takes work. Uh, in verse 25, for the last verse I read, we'll look at this again next week. Jesus says, whoever has, to him more shall be given. That, that's pointing to those who are making, making a humble effort um, to, to come to Jesus, to learn from him. That they, they have faith. They have an eagerness to learn. They will be given more and more. And the parables, um, uh, we see how they work in that way in, in, a practical, in a practical way. So part of the lesson here for us is the truths of God can be, can be challenging. The disciples came to Jesus um, at times and say, what, what are you talking about? Um, God's truths can be challenging, but they are available to you. God gives understanding and wisdom to live faithfully in part of his kingdom to those who humbly come to him um, uh, and, and look for understanding. Okay? Uh, secondly, Jesus is communicating here that his parables function in some way to conceal from others. Uh, look at verse 11 again, the second half. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. While hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Now, these are difficult verses. What, what, is, what is Jesus saying exactly about his, his intentions and his use of parables? Is Jesus saying that he speaks in parables to hide truth from some people so that they can never understand, they couldn't ever be forgiven, to make it impossible for anyone outside his inner circle to, to have what they need to repent? Um, 
Well, a couple things to be clear about. First, God does not force anyone to believe, nor does he create unbelief uh, in anyone's heart. Uh, There's no one who would otherwise believe in in God who wants to understand, and, and God somehow bars them from understanding from repenting, from being forgiven. The free offer of the gospel is there for anyone and everyone, always. But God can and does respond to, to arrogant unbelief uh, with, with the judgment of leaving people in their, un, uh, their unbelief, confirming them in it. Uh, and that's, that's what Jesus is pointing to here. The, the fact that, in part, the fact that parables require effort and faith uh, and humble listening to Jesus, that becomes a barrier uh, of judgment against those who refuse to make that humble effort, who really want to learn from Jesus and and be changed. It doesn't necessarily keep someone from understanding the basic storyline, but certainly understanding the the truths of the kingdom of God. Um, It doesn't keep anyone from humbly coming to Jesus for understanding. That's not what Jesus is saying. But it serves to keep from understanding those who refuse to come humbly to Jesus. Right? Uh, We can compare what's said of Pharaoh in the Old Testament to what Jesus says here. It's said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, That doesn't mean God gave Pharaoh a hard heart or prevented him from from, uh, putting faith in the true God when he really wanted to. No, God, God confirmed him uh, in his hard heart and, and used him for his purposes. So the lesson here for us is if, if you don't approach God in faith but in, in arrogance and resistance, you'll only be confirmed perhaps more and more in your ignorance and resistance. Just as Jesus promises in this passage here, those with faith will be confirmed in their faith. They'll be given more and more. They'll be given more understanding. So to resist God's truth risks... Him hiding it from us in, in that sense. Uh, in Matthew eleven twenty five, Jesus prayed, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, that you have hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to little children. Again, not hidden in the sense that people who are genuinely, humble, genuinely and humbly looking for his truth uh, can't find them. But, but those who think they are wise and will not allow the Holy Spirit to teach them uh, they'll, they'll continue to be blinded more and more, but those who are humble and dependent, like children, uh, will, will find him. Okay? What, is, what does this look like further for someone to be, in the, in the way that Jesus says, on, on the outside, not humbly seeking understanding from Jesus? Um, you know, we might readily think of those who are, are just apathetic towards Jesus or towards the Bible. They just don't care. Um, certainly includes them. We might think of those who, who outwardly um, and vehemently reject, you know, flatly reject the word of God as, as false. Um, but, but I want you to realize there, there are many others in between who could have a, there are those who have a great interest in the Bible and appreciation, um, have, have some great knowledge of God's word and of Christ, but without faith, without humble submission to Jesus. And so they have no real understanding in the sense that Jesus says. The, the, the mystery, in a sense, is hidden from them still. Uh, they're still on the outside. They're not. They're not sitting at Jesus' feet to understand. Um, here are a few examples of what that might look like. Of those not necessarily uh, rejecting Jesus outright, right? But as as 
this applies to the crowds around Jesus, right? They were, they were interested. They knew him. They were listening to him. They were hearing, but not hearing, as Jesus said. There are many striking examples of that among uh, liberal scholars of the Bible. So here's one example, as he's long dead. Uh, Rudolf Boltmann is one of the best known, um, most influential Bible scholars of the 20th century. Um, he authored many books. He wrote some, some massive works on the New Testament. Um, he was a professor of the New Testament. He knew it backwards and forwards in Greek, and certainly way better than any of us here did. Um, and yet Rudolf Bultmann never believed for a moment that much of it at all was, was true or that it was historical, even. Um, he never believed it was God's word in the sense that we do, uh, or that, that Jesus was the Son of God, the divine Son of God. So here's a man who gave his life to studying the Bible, writing about the Bible, teaching it. I'm a professor of New Testament who never understood it uh, at all in the sense that Jesus is saying, never heard it. Um, there, there are others who know and use the Bible simply for, for moral guidance. It's, you know, it's useful, um, but not for union with Christ or really understanding the kingdom of God. Um, I think a good example in that kind of category is almost all of the founders of the United States, the, the signers of the Constitution. They're very familiar with their Bibles, right? And, and they found it useful for themselves, useful for society. They talked about God. They quoted the Bible. And, and sadly, many, many Christians quote them um, to, to uh, you know, speak of some supposed Christian, a solid Christian foundation of our nation. But... They had a remarkably Christless religion. Um, they had no relationship with Jesus. The, the, almost every one of them rejected the idea of the atonement, Jesus dying for our sins. Um, sort of like the crowds following Jesus, right? But, but never really getting it. Here, here's a few examples. I mean, Thomas Jefferson's maybe the most famous one. They rejected the, the deity and the miracles of Jesus and um, you know, basically chopped up his Bible just to have a few... Uh, historical points left. Um, James Madison, George Washington, fascinatingly, um, out, out of all of their writings, and there's a lot of their writings left, um, only made one reference uh, to Jesus uh, ever that's known. Um, George Washington has 20,000 pages of letters, diaries, other writings, only one time uh, mentioned uh, Jesus in passing. Um, George Washington also Christians are sometimes surprised to hear. He refused ever to take communion. So when his church had communion, he, he and Martha got on their horse and rode home uh, at that point in the service. And eventually they just never came ever again on the, on the day that, that their, their, their church had communion. They, they thought it was superstitious nonsense. Um, John Adams, another one who identified with Christianity, quoted the Bible, uh, found it useful uh, wrote that the Bible was a collection of fables, tales, and legends. And there, there are many, many points in his writings you could point to to see his rejection of Christ. Um, but I think the most fascinating is he, he wrote in his diary one day about a, a, a general in the army uh, sharing with him about Christianity. It's a, it's a wonderful description of the gospel. He said, this major green shared with me that humans can't make satisfaction for their sin before God and that Jesus died in our place. Um, to, to take the punishment for us. And he calls this an absolute absurdity, uh, this, this idea. So sadly, the, these guys too are not sitting humbly at the feet of Jesus to learn. 
uh, to, to know him, to grow in life with him. There was some, some fascination, some interest. Christianity teaches us to be nice, but there's no relationship uh, with Jesus. And so I want to call you this morning to, to come humbly to Jesus, come humbly to his word, uh, to hear from him, to learn from him, as, as his disciples are doing here. Um, and we'll talk more about that next week as we consider this parable and think about really hearing uh, his word. If you stand above it, if you stand in judgment of it, um, God may confirm you more and more in your hardness against it. That's Jesus' point here. Um, another thing that's implied in what Jesus says in this passage is that parables, uh, his teaching in parables serves to clarify status, to clarify the status of those who is uh, who are on the inside, those who are on the outside. That is, in his words, that, that is those who, who are truly related to him, those who are not. Um, Jesus' parables often ended up being divisive. Right? Some people responded to a parable of Jesus with anger or uh, um, uh, confusion, and others came to Jesus and asked him for more, asked him for understanding. Uh, some people, again, take Jesus' parables as just nice little moral lessons like Aesop's fables and others, uh, grow in their love for Jesus and his kingdom and their comfort in God's love and, and their faithfulness and obedience. And they see the glory of God in, in these parables as far more than just little moral lessons. Uh, John 9:39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, that those who see may become blind. And, and his parables often function, uh, they, they, they serve that purpose. Um, it's often uh, those who are, are unexpected, who, who understand Jesus, who are shown to have a true relationship with him. Um, poor, lowly people or fishermen or tax collectors, they, they begin to see, right, and to have a relationship with, with God. And then, on the other hand, the wisest and most powerful and most influential are shown to actually be blind uh, in terms of the things of, of God. And so the parables, like Jesus' miracles, like some of his other teachings, force, force a decision about Jesus. Uh, what is this really saying? Who, who is he? Uh, one of the most pernicious tools of Satan in the United States and, and by the West in general is especially a lack of clarity uh, about what true Christianity, true discipleship is. Uh, part of that is because it's, it's been culturally acceptable for hundreds of years by God's grace. Um, and yet we, we don't experience the, the rocks of the parable uh, here uh, necessarily. Uh, there are those, of course, who are you know, clearly given their lives totally to Jesus. Their faith in his, is in him. There are those, obviously, who, who have, have clearly rejected him. But there are so many who lack clarity, who are, who are sort of in the, in the mushy middle uh, with, with a false assurance, a false understanding uh, of what it means to follow Jesus. They, they have sort of a cheap decision, a cheap um, profession of faith in Jesus. Maybe they think following Jesus means celebrating Christmas and Easter and believing in God and trying to be nice. Uh, there, there are a lot of people in that category. They have a sort of association with Jesus, an association with, with Christianity. Um, but when the, nature, the, the true nature of the kingdom of God, the true nature of discipleship, is preached rightly, it's understood as the parable is explained those things, it provides clarity. Right? It provides clarity. Um, and important clarity. It's important that we know that we're blind if, if we actually are. And I want to ask you, could it be that, that you think that you are 
on the inside or part of Jesus' family uh, that you see? Uh, could it be that you are confusing knowledge and association with Jesus for true faith? Uh, and discipleship, giving your life to Jesus? Are, are you being given more and more? Uh, verse, as verse 25 says, is Jesus giving you more and more each week as, as you gather here and hear his word, for example? Are you growing in the mysteries of the kingdom? Verse 11, are you feasting on the teachings of Jesus as, as the source of your life? Uh, growing closer to him, or are you just here? Maybe you're tagging along with someone else. Or you're treating Jesus and his word as simply something interesting or, or a helpful part of your life or a familiar part of your life, but not your life. And fourthly, our parables serve to confirm the power of the word of God. Jesus' parables serve to confirm the power of the word of God. The, the basic point here is that, that Jesus has this, this small group of, of men and women um, described as following him and serving him and truly wanting to learn from him, um, understanding what God is teaching him. Uh, Jesus had also massive followings, in a sense, big crowds. Um, but by the time of his death, it's, it's literally, literally just a, a small handful uh, of men and women um, who are still interested in him. And yet it's from these few who believed the gospel, uh, his word, Right? They didn't do a lot of fundraising or um, building up military might or anything like that. It's from these few who believed his word that the kingdom of God would, would spread and that the world would be changed. Right? God would accomplish his powerful, sovereign purposes through, through these unexpected means, not through massive propaganda machine or, or wealth or armies, but through the teaching of Jesus. And especially... <clears throat> through these, these spiritual stories, these parables that he admits most people don't really understand, but that many poor and humble and unexpected people receive as the word of God. And, and the parable of the sower here that we'll look at in more detail next week actually illustrates this, this point in the parable, I think. Uh, we, we often, oftentimes in studying this parable, um, the, the focus is on the soils, right? The different kinds of soils and, and how they differ from each other, and how that's teaching us to be in, in hearing the God and that, hearing God and His Word, and that's that's an appropriate focus. We'll, we'll, that will be our focus next week. But I think maybe the first uh, significant point of this parable is the surprising conclusion. So, so think about the parable. How a seed is scattered all over in all different kinds of of places. There's four different areas described, and as as you go through the parable. Uh, that the, the recurring theme is failure, right? The first kind of soil fails, and the second soil fails, and the third soil fails, right? The seed keeps failing. Three out of four of the soils fail. But the seed on one soil, verse 8, <clears throat> says, yielded a, a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And Jesus in verse 20 explains the, the, uh, the point of that, that those who hear the word and accept it bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Uh, but again, there's, there's a lot of failure. Whether we're talking about the farmer and the seed or what it points to is the, the sowing of God's word. There's a lot of rejection, yet there's still an incredible crop at the end. Uh, that's perhaps the, the main point here, is, is the result of the gospel going out, uh, facing all kinds of failure, finding um, acceptance among 
weak and unexpected people, few people relatively, and yet there's still an incredible, miraculous crop. Uh, the results of the gospel will be, will be totally disproportionate to expectations, I, I think the parable is teaching. They'll, they'll be disproportionate to human efforts and, and to the initial response or who responds. God will bring about massive, miraculous fruit by the simple tool of his word. So there, there are important lessons for hearing and considering what kind of, of soil you are, as, as we will last ne- next week. But more importantly, I think it teaches what God will do through his word, uh, what he will accomplish. And so I, I just want to close with two encouragements along that line for you. The first is God's work in you. Um, God's or Jesus' parables are simply one of the ways that God shows uh, that he's pleased to work in those who are, are unexpected or not powerful or not the smartest or not accomplished. He works through those who are sitting at his feet asking for understanding. Right? As he was in private here, uh, those who were really wanted to learn from him came and asked him uh, for more understanding. As you humbly listen, uh, God will produce fruit in you. And this, this parable teaches the miraculous fruit that God produces through his word. And secondly, it should be a great encouragement for, for our witnessing to others. Um, this, this farmer here points to Jesus, the example of Jesus in spreading the word, spreading the seed far and wide, right? In, in every place, every corner of the field, anyone who would hear, uh, knowing, as Jesus did, that many would, would reject it. Many wouldn't understand But also knowing that God would produce good soil. He would produce a miraculous crop. Uh, in the end, he would build his church. Uh, and God has given to us the, the task of, of sowing. And we do so, we do that with the confidence, even though many will receive it as, as strange stories that don't make sense, we do that with the confidence that God will produce good soil, that, that God's word is powerful, and it will work powerfully. So next week we'll, we'll turn to our duty to listen carefully uh, to that powerful word. Uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you uh, for your word again this week. We thank you for the, the illustrated promise here of, of the power of your word uh, in our lives and uh, through us as we uh, share that word with others. We thank you for the way that has, has powerfully and obviously borne out in history, in the history of the church, um, since you, Lord Jesus, sent your Holy Spirit, uh, poured out your Holy Spirit. Uh, we pray that we would um, take encouragement in that, uh, to continue to, to seek you and to learn from your word, to grow in it, and to share it with others. Um, we thank you for your, your teaching and your parables and the way that you give your truth to us. And we pray that you would humble us to, to hear and to seek you more to learn more and more. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.